Contrast to Ms. Walker's case, within a month or so of her actual injury, a medical award only was entered, and she falls prey to exactly the fear that was talked about in Scott in 1993, lured into a false sense of security through her continued employment of partial of, at the pre-injury rate for two years, in this case 25 months. It's exactly what the purpose is. And when the changes in the statute came in to say of compensation in A in 2013, it was mirrored with similar language in C, making it clear a standalone provision that compensation paid pursuant to the specific terms. Again, it's a voluntary payment, but it's a specific term. Welcome to the Court of Appeals of Virginia podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Ben Glass Law, a personal injury and long-term disability law firm with headquarters in Fairfax, Virginia. Listening to oral arguments is one of the best ways to both learn and stay abreast of the substantive and procedural aspects of practicing law in Virginia. By putting these public domain recordings into the form of a podcast, Ben Glass Law has made it easy for the public to access these recordings. All commentary that is not part of the actual court proceedings is that of the show sponsor. The next case on our docket is Jimmy Lee Marahoot versus the Commonwealth. We have Ms. Harris on behalf of Mr. Marahoot and Mr. Campbell on behalf of the Commonwealth. Or do we... Uh, maybe not. Do we have Ms. Harris? Okay. Why don't we... Um, I'll call the next case then if that's all right. If you don't mind sticking around for a couple of minutes, Mr. Campbell. Okay. Do we have Mr. Reed? Or, okay, great. We have Ms. Walker and then Mr. Pops or Ms. Seeley. I'm not sure who's arguing. Okay, Ms. Seeley, great. Thank you. So we'll call, go ahead and call the case of Lucinda Walker versus the Virginia Department of Corrections Greensville Correctional Center with Mr. Reed on behalf of the appellant and Ms. Seeley on behalf of the Department of Corrections. Thank you. Or not specifically Department of Corrections, but <laughs> the ADSC. You're going to get there. I'll get there. All right. Thank you. For your patience. All right. Mr. Reed, you can proceed when you're ready and just let me know if you'd like to reserve any time for rebuttal. Thank you, Your Honor. And I would like to reserve uh, three minutes of my time for rebuttal if possible. All right. May it please the court, Brody Reed on behalf of the appellate, Ms. Walker. We come before the court today on our appeal on what is the de novo review of statutory application of 708 to a situation that has been warned about in, in the case law of occurring that can lull a claimant to a sense of sleep or false security when a medical award is entered in a case. Full wages are paid, but disability is occurring during the first two years. The first time of disability occurs after those two years, the compensation is paid by the employer, and they're barred by the statute of limitations from bringing a claim for wage loss. Such is exactly the case that happened here with Ms. Walker. She was working for the Commonwealth when she was injured, and within a first month or so was given a medical-only award for her, her left ankle injury. There's large stipulations to what the facts were in this case. There was simply no award for compensation at that point, correct? No, it was a medical-only award. And, right. and the record 18, the clarification, she actually checked nothing in the second box when she filed her claim pro se. The commission entered in the record 18, page 18 said, sent a letter to the claimant, said we'd clarify what it is you're looking for. And there were several check boxes. One of them says compensation if more than seven days are missed, which was not the case. She said medical award for bills and mileage. The agreement forms did address those, indicated they were being paid, so everything was copacetic at that point. There was not an award with the commission entered for compensation. Wages, in lieu of compensation, with disability stipulated to, for multiple periods, three separate periods, as agreed below, were paid during the time that she had disability from work, but was being accommodated by her employer. 
Fortunately, she gets to a doctor who can figure out what the problem is, but the surgery is recommended and is not taking place until 25 months after her original injury. She went through two years of medical care at the direction of the chain of treating physicians that the employer would pick on their panel, gets to a surgeon who says he can help, and for the first time is going to be facing wage loss about 25 months after uh, her original injury through October of that year, so not an insignificant period. She files a claim pro se at that point. She was being paid, she was on light duty work, so she was getting her full salary at that point. Absolutely, Your Honor. And from the stipulations below, this is textbook qualifications under 708C. She is under restriction that disable her from pre-injury job. She's being accommodated by the employer and being paid wages that are equal to or in excess of her pre-injury average wage. But for the accommodation of the employer, she would be suffering wage loss and have an entitlement to file a claim for compensation, either temporary total disability or temporary partial disability under the Workers' Comp Act of Virginia. But I, I think the problem here is we're stuck with our old precedent, which is Raheem here in this case, which I think fairly specifically says that essentially you have to have an award of compensation to, trig the, to toll the, statute, the running of the statute of limitations. And uh, there was no award of compensation here. It's really that sort of straight up. Now, there was a substitute for an award of compensation. That was the voluntary payment of the wages, but there was no award. And what you're asking us to do is to somehow equate a voluntary act on the part of the employer to an act on the part of the commission. And I'm not sure we can get there from here. And, Your Honor, respectfully, I think the Raheem decision, if we look at the facts of Raheem, which was decided prior to the legislative changes in 2013, of both A and C of 708, which is significant, in looking at the synergy in which they were both were changed, the Raheem did not have an actual award for compensation. It was an award noting no wage loss was owed because the terms of 708 were met. That was what was entered on June 18th of 2019 at the stipulation in Raheem. So there was not, there was a, a medical award entered with the low back, right knee, right forearm. Body parts don't matter for the purpose of this discussion. But there was not an actual award of compensation issued. The stipulation noted that the conditions met 708C. But there was not an actual award of compensation. And so then the claim on October 7th of 2009 for seeking TTD from August of that year uh, until later on in August of that year with some TPD due, TPD due after her back surgery, that was the first time it was brought forward. And so there we have this stipulation entered by the commission that talks about there have been some payment of wages voluntarily that meet the conditions of 708, but there's still not an award for compensation. Then later, after the two years, the back surgery, very similar to Ms. Walker's case, is recommended, and as a result of a back surgery, predictably, she's disabled from all work for a period of time, making her eligible for a claim for temporary total disability. In that case, we were able to use 708C to toll and save the compensation, and it was awarded and upheld here all the way up. That's in the Raheem decision. There is the Summers decision out there, Your Honor, absolutely, which comes a little bit later in 2015, subsequent to 2013 changes. But that is an unpublished decision, so it's not binding on this court because it's just, it's, it's not, it's not precedent. It is simply just persuasive at best under 5A colon 1. The pure question seems to be is, okay, there's no award for compensation. There, there's clearly an injury. And there, that, there's no issue there. But the, a claim for compensation is eventually filed, but it's filed after the statute of limitations has expired and therefore is arguably ineffective. But unless we could say somehow that a voluntary act on the part of the employer equates to action by the commission, 
as I don't know, as an agent of the commission. I don't know how you get. I just don't know how you get there from here. I realize, of course, one option at the time was, despite the voluntariness of the compensation, they could still have asked the commission to order it, and, and the employer would have been in compliance, and we wouldn't be having this discussion right now. Sure. And I think we go back to the legislative intent. Why was 708C put into place? And again, it's designed to man. It's a remedial statute, we know. So it's highly, it's highly remedial, actually, when you look at the compact. So it's designed to protect the workers in this case. And when we go back as early as 1993 and earlier than that, and this commission or this court has cited Marshalls versus Huffman, which cites Scott v. Scott, talks about the specific issue we're trying to avoid. And going back to 1993, when this was enacted, the subsection, which at that point was a, a different citation, talks about it, it prevents an employer not talking about the commission, from luring a partially disabled worker into a false sense of security through his continued employment of the partially injured employee at his pre-injury wage for two years, only to have the employer later use a medical-only award to allege that a change in condition claim for compensation filed more than two years after the date of the accident is barred by the statute of limitations. In the Workers' Comp Act, there are many statute limitations and many ways compensation can be awarded. 601 is but one of them, and that talks about an original claim for benefits. Summers talks about an original claim for benefits. No award had been entered at the time this late filing was made in Summers. Contrast to Ms. Walker's case, within a month or so of her actual injury, a medical award only was entered, and she falls prey to exactly the fear that was talked about in Scott in 1993, lured into a false sense of security through her continued employment of partial of, at the pre-injury rate for two years, in this case 25 months. It's exactly what the purpose is. And when the changes in the statute came in to say of compensation in A in 2013, it was mirrored with similar language in C, making it clear a standalone provision that compensation paid pursuant to the specific terms, again, it's a voluntary payment, but it's a specific term. The employer is exercising their opportunity to get residual capacity of their employee, though diminished, and in exchange paying them full wages whether than compensation. Can I ask you a background question Certainly. for my benefit? Are there, is there anything other than a medical-only award or a compensatory award? Is there any third category where somebody could get an award that included wages paid? It kind of contemplates what's set out in C. And my question is because if we, I'm trying to figure out what the, per, I, I, um, I understand your argument, and I'm wondering if we were to adopt the the view that um, the appellee has taken here, what's the purpose of C? I'm sorry, I'm just trying to understand what, what, what's the other realm of possibility that C could come into play. Sure, and, and I, absolutely, Your Honor. So going, going to the background, in workers' comp, we are dealing with a very large percentage of unrepresented individuals. And because of that, the commission has a lot of form-based information that comes out and is sent directly. Again, I point to the letter from the commission to an unrepresented claimant saying, check these boxes where they say, you can't get wages unless you miss more than seven days to an unwilling Ms. Walker. The interaction with the public of this and the trusting nature of the employee-employer relationship, I think, gives a foundation where an employee can, as the concern was mentioned in 1993, be lulled into the sense of confidence. I'm not losing anything. They're covering everything they're supposed to. I don't know what I need to do. To directly answer your question, you can have an award of impairment rating, or PPD, which is under 500 or 503. That's for a loss of use, separate from lost wages. For example, I had a surgery. I didn't miss any time. My shoulder gets back to 90%. I have a 10% loss of use. That could be an award under the law. And you can, in some cases, have a records-only award, but it's not an easy 
thing to do. You could, in theory, insist, like the stipulation that was entered, to say, I want it on record that you've met all the terms and conditions of 708C, like what happened in Rahim. That's not actually an award of compensation. That's just conceding that compensation isn't owed because there was no wage loss, even though you could have had wage loss but for the employer's employment. Right? So those are the two additional potential awards that could happen. But frankly, an unrepresented injured worker doesn't really have a lot of options on how to file something like this to move forward, nor would they know to do so. Again, the employer who is extending the statute of limitations, which we can now do by voluntary payments, Your Honor, from, from a new statutory change of medical or otherwise, that does extend it there. So it can happen statutorily. Here, reading in concert C with A allows when payment is issued for 24 months, it tolls it for up to 24 months. So it wouldn't run until they stop payment 24 months later. The payment of the medical awards here. So the payment of the medical award never was stopped. But here, the wage payments to a new worker. But that, with, they were paid by the employer. Correct. Through an, a direction of the commission. Correct. And that was at the election of the employer. When an injured worker has restrictions, they're required to present them to their employer. I'm not 100% out of any and all work. I have some residual capacity between 0 and 100%. Dear Ms. Employer, what do you have for me? I cannot force them to accept me. But if they choose to accept me, I've got to take the position. They can pay me at full wages, partial wages, a light duty position. But what they choose to do, how they choose to use my residual capacity to their benefit, will subject what benefits I can and can't get. If they pay me full wages, accommodate all my restrictions. We understand and have some sympathy for your argument that sure. once you're getting an award and you're getting paid by your employer, it lulls you into a sense of complacency where you might not then file what you need to file by the beginning of the statute of limitations. But the, when the General Assembly changed the language from any award to any award of compensation, isn't that pretty clear? They're talking about the Workers' Compensation Commission giving an award of compensation, not the employer just continuing to pay compensation as they had been, but at a reduced work capacity. Potentially, if all we read are the changes in A, and if all the changes were made is the single of compensation added into A in 2013, we might be not having this conversation. But at the same time, in the same bill, they added specifically the additional words in C, talking about shall be considered compensation, and they added paid pursuant to an award for compensation. They talk about these wages voluntarily given in certain conditions shall be paid pursuant to an award for compensation. It creates the legal fiction of a, an award for compensation when specific things are met, and in doing so, tolls the statute of limitations to allow for a change in condition. Not an original filing, but a change in condition. Ms. Walker's change in condition was her going from a partial work capacity to a no work capacity following surgery recommended for her compensable injury. So it was a true change in condition. Things had changed materially. And in adding the specific words there, in concert with the change in A, they have to be read in unison. To require, as the Commission has interpreted in 2019 in the Hernandez case, in the third footnote, that an award of compensation must be entered would render B meaningless. Because B says, in those cases where no compensation has been paid, if the starting point is an award for compensation must exist in order for 708 to be triggered, how then can B exist? And you'd have to interpret that, to put that interpretation there, you'd have to render absolutely obsolete B in its entirety, which is not the statutory 
instruction on how you interpret the statute here. How can you do it? You can do it by being mindful of the intent of the legislature when it in unison changed C in conjunction with A to fulfill the specific mischief that this is guarded against, which is to lull an employee into a false sense of security for more than two years with a medical-only award. Into your rebuttal time is about, about 30 seconds. Thank you. Good afternoon. May it please the court, I'm Emily Seeley, arguing on behalf of the VA DOC Department of Corrections and the Commonwealth of Virginia. As the judges have pointed out, this is a case of statutory construction and simply applying the law as written to the facts. In 2015, in Summers, this court said, a claimant cannot invoke subsection C of Code 65.2708 unless there's been a previous award of compensation. And as this court has already pointed out, in this case, there was no award of compensation for Ms. Walker when she filed her first claim for lost wage benefits. Ms. Walker wanted her claim to be a changing condition claim so that it would be timely, but unfortunately, it is not a changing condition claim, and therefore, it was not timely when she filed. She argued that 65.2708 applied and her statute of limitations was told because she received light duty wages the voluntary act from her employer. The commission properly treated her lost wage claim as a new claim for lost wages because she did not have an existing award from the Virginia Workers' Compensation Commission. Can you help me understand, if we agree with you and we say that you have to read subsection C to require a pre-existing compensation award before you ever look at subsection C, what is the point of subsection C? So if you have an award that already says you're getting compensation and you're getting these wages, that if the award's clear about that, then why does C exist? What function does it play? I believe C exists to buttress and, in fact, to maybe prevent the situation that we're here, to buttress subsection A and to avoid a situation like we're in where a claimant is trying to argue, oh, my lost duty wages count as an award of compensation. And subsection C was also amended in 2013 to add, shall be considered compensation, and these are the words that were added, paid pursuant to an award for compensation, but shall not result in a reduction of the maximum number of weeks of compensation benefits as described in 65.2500 and 518, which is the limitation on total compensation. It sounds like basically the purpose of, it sounds like basically what you're arguing is the purpose of subsection C is simply provide a tolling provision if it applies at all? Absolutely, Your Honor. Yes, subsection C provides a tolling mechanism when there has been an award of compensation. And the General Assembly in 2013 was very clear that an award of compensation by the commission must be in place. And so subsection C applies. Subsection A already says no review can happen after 24 months from the last date for which compensation was paid. It seems like A is already covering that tolling. And I believe the General Assembly felt like it was necessary to clarify that A applies only when there has been an award of compensation from the commission because compensation has been defined generally in the case law to include medical benefits only. I think the commission wanted to make, or excuse me, the General Assembly wanted to make clear that when they mean compensation in subsection A, allowing the commission to review a claim, they mean only compensation paid pursuant to an award, not lost wage benefits paid voluntarily by an employer. Again, in 2015, this court in Summers said that by the terms of 708A, 
there must be some previous award to modify in order for the commission to address the claim as a change in condition. And then in 2013, in response to Rahim, the General Assembly has made clear that there must be an award of compensation in order for the commission to address a claim for lost wages as a change in condition claim and examine it under an extended statute of limitations. So subsection C does not create an award. It says that if an award for lost wages exists, then light duty wages paid by the employer are considered wages pursuant to an award and 708A applies. I believe that also answers your question, Judge Wars. Subsection C exists to say this isn't a standalone provision. We're not giving the commission power to create an award. We are giving the commission power to review an award if compensation under an award has been paid. And Ms. Walker's argument that wages paid under 708C creates an award was considered and rejected by this court in 2015 in Summers. The court said it was faulty and misinterprets the relationship between subsections A and C of 65.2708. And so if this court accepts Ms. Walker's argument, then the court must find that Summers was wrongly decided or two panels of this court are in disharmony. So applying 65.2708 to Ms. Walker's claim, we see that her claim must fail. She did not have an award for lost wages before her two-year statute of limitations ran in June of 2021, and her claim for lost wages on July 6, 2021 was not, therefore, a change in condition claim pursuant to an award of compensation. It was not governed by 708, and therefore, it's untimely. Therefore, the court must affirm the full commission's decision that her claim was untimely and therefore barred. Happy to answer any questions from the court. Thank you. Very briefly on rebuttal, the changes that were made to both A and C have got to be read in unison. And when the General Assembly spoke and said that it shall be considered compensation paid pursuant to an award of compensation, the award of compensation, as Your Honor pointed out, is modified and already defined here in A. It bootstraps these payments to toll the statute of limitations in exactly the circumstances here. A medical award was entered. No wages were lost because they were paid by the employer, and as a result, she needed to have a 708 change of condition. I see your time's expired, but I have one question. Is there any other example you can put? It seems like you're asking us to imply an award or essentially to create an award based on conduct that wasn't actually issued by the commission. Is there any other example of an implied award in workers' compensation? There are, Your Honor. There's a de facto and a de jure award. In addition to that, there's been some statutory changes in the past two years to toll the statute of limitations when voluntarily payments of medical benefits or wages are being done by the employer. There are issues where this happens, and it's fairly routine. And I think they do exist. The court need not reach that if you simply follow the line of cases going back to 2011 and the legislative changes happening here to reach this decision. She had a medical award, and you wouldn't have a de facto award in this case because these kinds of cases don't fall under de facto award. They're not wages owed because wages were earned by the accommodation. So in this unique situation, there isn't another way other than the longstanding remedial fix that was given by the legislature. Thank you. All right, the case is submitted. We'll come down to Greek Council.
The proceeding has been a production of Ben Glass Law, a Fairfax, Virginia-based personal injury and long-term disability law firm. For a free evaluation of your claim, visit us at benglasslaw.com or call us at 703-591-9829.